name is Patrick McGillray, and I'm an experienced marathoner, ultra runner, master life coach, and weight loss coach for runners. I've learned that running more and eating less does not work for weight loss and that there's a better way. Now I help runners like you to get leaner and get stronger so you can run faster and run longer than you ever thought possible. This is Running Lean. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 34 of Running Lean. My name is Patrick McGilvray. I'm your host and the weight loss coach for runners. And today we're talking about oil. What? I know, the ultimate guide to oil. For decades, we've been taught that saturated fat is bad. Got to stay away from it. It causes all kinds of health issues like obesity and coronary heart disease, and that the solution is to replace all those unhealthy fats like lard and butter with heart-healthy fats like vegetable oil. The problem, though, is that ever since we've increased our consumption of vegetable oils, we've just gotten fatter and sicker. So what the heck is going on? In this episode, I get to the bottom of this issue and I explain why vegetable oils are actually pretty bad for us as humans and what oils are better options, what you should use instead. So if you like this podcast, then I think you gotta come check out the Running Lean community on Facebook. This is a positive, energetic, informative group that goes hand in hand with the podcast. So it's a fun group of like-minded runners who all share common goals, goals like wanting to run their first marathon or just make running easier or living a more vibrant life or losing weight. And in that group, I do a series of live trainings on topics related to the stuff I'm talking about here on the podcast, things like running mindset, nutrition, weight loss, all kinds of fun stuff. And actually one of our members, one of the members of the Running Lean community, Melissa, asked this question recently. She said, you've mentioned a couple of times that canola oil is poison slash garbage. <laughs> yes, that sounds like me. Can you do a podcast episode on fats and oils? I'm fairly well educated on general nutrition principles and good fats, but I would be interested to hear more of your perspective on which oils are best and why. Thanks. Well, yes, Melissa, that's what I'm doing today. That's a very good question. And so I'm devoting this whole episode to answering that. So come and join us in the Facebook group, in the, in the Running Lean community on Facebook, and you can get your questions answered too. So just go to Facebook and search for Running Lean community and you'll find us. Also, did you know that I do one-on-one -on -one coaching? I do. Uh, listen. Doing this stuff, trying to figure all this nutrition out, especially as a runner, becoming fat adapted, you know, knowing what to eat, when to eat, and all that other stuff can be kind of challenging to try to do it all on your own. So that's why I'm here to help you. Listen, we're all different. We all have different nutritional needs, different genes, different values, different lifestyles. And when you work with me, I help you develop a eating program, a nutrition program, a weight loss program that works for you. You get my help and guidance. Uh, you get my personal attention. You get a step-by-step -step action plan. You get to be held accountable for all your results, which is awesome. 
Um, and then I help motivate you and help keep you moving forward. Um, and I give you tools and skills to help you improve not only your nutrition and your running, but other aspects of your life as well. Just imagine how much easier it would be to lose weight when you have somebody right there walking you through it step by step, showing you exactly what to do and holding you accountable. Just go to innerfiretribe.com forward slash weight loss coaching, all one word, and you can apply for coaching with me. I'd love to talk to you about it. Okay, let's get into this. This is the ultimate guide to oil. And in doing my research for this podcast, I realized that the whole vegetable oil industry kind of was birthed right here in Cincinnati, Ohio. So back in the 1800s, Cincinnati was known as Porkopolis because there were a lot of pork processing uh, plants around here. So they did a lot of um, rendering of animal fats and a lot of pork was being consumed. There's a lot of slaughterhouses and all that stuff. So Cincinnati was known as Porkopolis. That's why um, we have uh, the Flying Pig Marathon is kind of a play on that and and some other things. But anyway, um, oh, and another really cool thing is the uh, pork, this may sound gross, but the, the, the pig like disassembly lines in the in the slaughterhouses so they would have these uh kind of factory lines where they would disassemble pigs okay for different purposes uh henry ford actually took that idea and reverse engineered it basically reversed the process to create the first assembly lines for cars so even like the whole assembly line thing got its start from Cincinnati and Parkopolis. The things you learn, I'm telling you, it's amazing. So anyway, Cincinnati, late 1800s, lots of pork being, you know, rendered and stuff like that. Lots of animal facts being consumed. And um, there were these two guys, William Proctor and James Gamble, that had this little soap and candle company called Proctor and Gamble. And um, at the time, and just another side note, if I look out my apartment window, I live near downtown Cincinnati, and if I look at my apartment window, I see the Procter & Gamble Global Headquarters building it's right there. So like I live kind of in the shadow of this whole uh, Procter & Gamble um, thing. And so when I was doing this research, I was just like, this is really hitting close to home. But anyway, okay, enough digressions. I'm going to keep moving forward here. So at the time, they were making soap and candles, right? Procter & Gamble. And animal fat, the, the lard that they were using from the animal fat from the pork render, rendering facilities and stuff was expensive. And so they started trying to find a cheaper alternative. And so they were using like palm oil and coconut oils instead And they made this soap that floated in water using these oils and and it's called ivory soap, right? And, um, And so this was going along pretty well, but even that was kind of expensive. Coconut oil, palm oil was kind of expensive. So they found an even cheaper alternative and it was a waste product from the cotton farming industry, cottonseed oil. And so um, before processing, cottonseed oil is this cloudy red, 
and very bitter uh, oil. And it has this uh, toxic chemical in it uh, called, and I'm, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but gossipol, gossipol. And it's toxic to most animals. It, cause, it causes dangerous spikes in, in the body's potassium levels. It causes organ damage, and it causes paralysis, okay? So they had this very toxic cottonseed oil. And they decided at some point they were going to use this to feed to humans. Now, uh, an issue of popular science at the time kind of sums up the evolution of cottonseed oil. Here's what they said. They said, what was garbage in 1860 became fertilizer in 1870, switched to cattle feed in 1880, and then table food and many other things in 1890. So it slowly entered our food supply. And, and then there was this new invention that took cottonseed oil to the next level that really got it into America's kitchens, restaurants, and our homes. And this is in 1907 when Procter & Gamble started using this new chemical process called hydrogenation, hydrogenation, that took this um, uh, liquid cottonseed oil and produced a solid fat. Okay, so the company's researchers had been trying to produce a more solid form of cottonseed oil for a long time. And it was very important for them in the soap manufacturing business. They wanted a, an oil that was solid at room temperature. So the company's scientists um, took this uh, hydrogenation and they created this new creamy pearly white substance out of cottonseed oil to use in soap making. And it looked a lot like the most popular cooking fat of the day, which was lard. And, um, and so Procter & Gamble grabbed onto this stuff and said, you know, this kind of looks like lard. I mean, seems innocent enough. And um, so they sold this new substance, and today we know this is hydrogenated vegetable oil. So they sold it to home cooks as a replacement for animal fats. And they called it Crisco, short for crystallized cottonseed oil, okay? So they took this stuff they were trying, that they, they were really intended to use it for the creation of soap. And uh, they actually got a patent for this stuff in 1910 for Crisco. And in the patent, it says, <laughs> a food product consisting of a vegetable oil, preferably cottonseed oil, partially hydrogenated, and hardened to a homogeneous white or yellowish semi-solid, closely resembling lard. The special object of the invention is to provide a new food product for a shortening in cooking. Okay, so they just had this idea, let's just start feeding this to humans. No real research went into this about 
the deleterious effects of this stuff or about the health consequences of eating this stuff. But they started selling this now food product. And it was unprecedented at the time. They sold 2.6 million pounds of the stuff, Crisco, in 1912. 2.6 million pounds. And then just four years later, they were up to selling 60 million pounds of Crisco. So this new quote-unquote food bolstered the bottom line of Procter & Gamble. Keep in mind, their only products at the time were things like ivory soap, Lennox soap, white naphtha laundry soap, and star soap. This was their contribution to the, you know, dietary nutritional needs of America and the world, really. Um, And this sort of ushered in this whole age of um, uh, vegetable oils and low-fat foods later on. But, But this was all marketing, okay? It wasn't a healthier by any means. Like, they didn't have any science to prove any of this stuff. They didn't do any real deep scientific testing. They were just like, well, I mean, you can eat it. I guess it's okay, you know. Um, but it was all marketing. So they were like, hey, this seems like it's probably better than animal fat. So, you know, it's healthier for you. And so that's the way they marketed it. It's just a marketing thing, okay? But this stuff, this Crisco, you know, it was a made, remember, it was made for the soap industry. It was 50% trans fat. And we know the trans fats are very bad, right? It wasn't until the 1990s, really, that we understood the health risks of trans fats. Um, but they, they estimate that for every 2% increase in uh, the consumption of trans fats, which are still found in many fast foods and processed foods today, your heart disease risks increase by 23%. So every 2% increase in the consumption of trans fats, uh, the risk of heart disease increases by 23%. What's interesting though, and surprising, is that animal fats, the fact that you know people have said that animal fats increase your risk of heart disease is not supported by science. Okay, that's very important to understand. So they took this stuff that they wanted to make, whether well, they wanted to make soap cheaper and, and quote unquote better, and they started feeding it to humans, basically selling it as healthier than the animal fats. And this was the birth of the vegetable oil industry. Everybody started to get, get in on this, okay? And it birthed a whole new era of cooking oils, So prior to this time, you know, we used to cook with tallow, uh, uh, which is uh, beef fat, suet, which is like lamb or sheep fat, and lard from pigs, and then butter. That's what we used to cook with. And for thousands of years, humans, well, I'm going to go back, millions of years, humans, used and ate those full saturated fats, mostly from animals, as part of their diet with no of the health issues that we experience from eating vegetable oils. Thousands and thousands and thousands of years of eating this stuff. 
and that you know we also consumed in certain parts of the world you know back you know a million years a few hundred thousand years we also consumed coconut oil palm oil and olive oils in some of the tropical more mediterranean regions but seed oils these things like we're talking about here cotton seed oil safflower seed oil stuff like that were not eaten by humans it wasn't until the modern era and the industrial revolution that these seed oils were produced at all and actually they were produced to be used as lubricants and machinery and did you know that you can use vegetable oil in a diesel engine like you can pour vegetable oil i think you have to modify something but my understanding is that you can run a diesel engine perfectly fine on vegetable oil why are we eating this stuff it just seems so bizarre right Okay, so that's kind of the history of, uh, you know, where this idea of eating these industrial oils comes from. And now I want to I talk a little bit about, um, you know, why these are bad for us, okay? Um, but I got to, before I get into that, I need to talk about a couple of science-y type things, and just so we understand. The first is like... Uh, the vegetable oils we're talking about here are the polyunsaturated fatty acids. Okay, that's kind of the, the bad part of these things, or PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids. These are the um, oils like corn oil, cottonseed oil, soybean oil, safflower seed oil, sunflower seed oil, peanut oil, canola oil, which is made from rapeseed, and grapeseed oil. So these are all the, what they technically call seed oils or industrial seed oils. And the uh, USDA, uh, or, or the US Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommends that we eat a, around two tablespoons of these oils every day. Okay, so they're basically just saying like, eat this stuff, it's good for you. So uh, polyunsaturated uh, fatty acids. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. And then there's a difference between saturated and unsaturated fats. Saturated fats are typically, or saturated oils are very stable. They're solid at room temperature, like lard, butter, coconut oil. And then the unsaturated types are very unstable. Uh, they're liquid at room temperature. And when you heat them up, terrible things happen. But anyway, in order to make these seed oils edible, they have to go through a massive refinement process. Okay, so this is where things get pretty weird with this oil, okay? So think about something like coconut oil, which is so natural, or even olive oil. To get olive oil, you just smash some olives and the oil comes out, right? And they do it at a cold on a cold press. You know, they don't have to heat it up. And there's basically zero refinement involved at all. So you just squeeze an oil and the, or squeeze an olive and the oil comes out and it's beautiful, it's delicious and, and very, very healthy, good for you, right? But these seed, these seed oils, in order to get the oil out of them and to make it edible for humans, I have to go through an, a massive amount of refinement. So for example, let's look at how they make canola oil. And pretty much all these seed oils are made the same way. Canola is made from rape seeds. Um, rape seeds are almost entirely GMO, genetic, genetically modified. They are heavily treated with pesticides. 
And then they take these seeds and they have to heat them to super high temperatures uh, just to get the oil, to start to get the oil out of them. So they uh, under high heat and pressure, they uh, have to get the oil out of them. And to get the oil out, they have to use a chemical solvent. It's a petroleum-based chemical solvent called hexane. Hexane actually causes nerve damage to humans. But anyway, so they have to use this uh, uh, industrial solvent to extract the oil from the seeds, okay? The resulting sludge that comes from this process is this rancid, um, super bad smelling and gray uh, sludge. And it's, it's inedible at this point. It's actually very toxic for humans. Um, and so they have to heat it again to uh, remove the toxins. They have to deodorize it. So they, they go through this another heating process to get that odor out of it. And then they bleach it to remove the gray color. Okay, then they add some enhancements like artificial colors and some synthetic vitamins. So by this time, we have something that is uh, an industrial oil. And it, it's great for running diesel engines and really good for lubricating machinery and stuff like that. If people were to like just come up with this idea today and propose that we eat this stuff today, there's no one in their right mind that would say like, this is a good idea. But because, you know, industry got behind this, you know, 100 years ago, it's just stuck with us. And oh my gosh, this stuff is just, it's horrible. And when I say this stuff is garbage slash poison, this is what I'm talking about. We're taking something that is unfit for humans to eat. And we're not only are we um, suggesting people eat it, the U.S. Uh, Dietary Guidelines for Americans suggest we eat it, suggest we all eat this stuff. And um, it's just causing all kinds of problems, all kinds of heart or health and heart problems for us. But you know what? There's a lot of money going into this stuff. There's a lot of profits. And there's a lot of like bad science that is promoting this stuff as being healthy, um, even though they've never really proven to be healthier at all. So just as an example, uh, and there's so many studies out there. I'm just going to mention a couple of things here, but there's like so many good studies that prove that these uh, uh, vegetable oils have not helped at all. But just think about it this way. Animal fat consumption went from around 12 pounds per year in 1900 to around five pounds per year in the year 2005. So in roughly 100 years, we've less, you know, more than halved our consumption of animal fats. Um, the polyunsaturated fats consumption went from around 10 grams a day in 1900, so basically almost zero, to around 40 grams a day in 2005. So we've quadrupled the amount of uh, these vegetable oils that we're, we're eating um, the problem, though, since 1900 is that heart disease, obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, hypertension, cancer, all of those have steadily increased along with the consumption, and it tracks very nicely 
if you look at it on a graph from vegetable oils, how much we've been consuming to the amount of heart disease and obesity and diabetes and all these other things. Today, the average American consumes around, and this is crazy, 70 pounds of vegetable oil per year. 70 pounds of this stuff per year. Whoa, that's crazy. And you don't have to be like pouring it into a pan or like guzzling it to get that much into your body because all fast food, almost all processed food, most packaged food contains these industrial seed oils, potato chips, granola, fried chicken, french fries, burgers, quote unquote healthy cereals, processed meats, plant-based meat substitutes, crackers, pretzels, practically everything you see at a store has vegetable oil in it. It's crazy. And so we're eating like 70 pounds of this stuff per year. And this is not good. <laughs> so why, why is this bad? Like why are vegetable oils bad for you? If, you? if you're not convinced already that these industrial seed oils are not bad for you, here's, here's some more things to, to understand about these kinds of oils. So they did these animal studies on rats back in the 1940s. Poor rats, they always get the, the brunt of these studies. But anyway, these poor rats, so they took um, these rats and they uh, fed them linseed oil, corn oil, soybean oil, and, um, and they realized that eating this stuff was very toxic for these animals. It caused them to grow poorly. They suffered massive diarrhea. <laughs> they had in, um, enlarged livers. They had gastric ulcers, heart damage, and they died prematurely. And then this part is kind of gross, but they had this like varnish-like substance that they found in their feces that actually caused these poor rats to actually be like stuck, like glued to the wire mesh floor of their cages. So they had this like byproduct of eating this stuff that was like this toxic um, varnish that glued them to their cages. Why are we eating this stuff, right? It's horrible. So this is done in the 1940s, um, but these, these kinds of studies were summarily dismissed because it didn't fit with the agenda of the big food companies that were like, well, you know, we're trying to promote something heart healthy here. So... And they put big money into studies that showed that this stuff didn't have those kinds of effects. Anyway, when you heat up these vegetable oils, they become extremely toxic. So this is like the worst thing you can do with these vegetable oils is to heat them up. Um, so they break down inside our bodies. They create free radicals. They create aldehydes. Aldehydes cause rapid cell death. Aldehydes interfere with our DNA and our RNA. They basically screw up our, the way our cells function. They, co they cause extreme oxidative stress to all of our tissues. Um, they cause really terrible effects to our health, like heart disease and cancer. In fact, they took one piece of fried chicken from a fast food joint 
and they were able to isolate 130 volatile compounds found in this one piece of fried chicken. And um, honestly, you're not going to like this part. Virtually all restaurants use vegetable oil to cook with because that's what's recommended. So virtually all restaurants are heating up this vegetable oil, creating this toxic, very toxic um, sludge. And that's what we're, they're feeding to all their people. I know that sucks, right? It's hard to get away from it. It really is. So polyunsaturated fats tend to, you know, react with oxygen in our bodies and they cause oxidative stress. This is important to understand. So you've heard that we should be eating foods that are high in antioxidants, right? Eat dark chocolate, eat blueberries. Um, we should be eating these foods to combat or prevent oxidative stress. That's why they're called antioxidants. Um, but these fatty acids in vegetable oils actually sit in our cell membranes. They increase the they cause oxidative stress, increase these harmful oxidative chain reactions, and they actually lead to structural changes within our cells, within our fat stores, within our cell membranes. These kinds of oils create a very pro-inflammatory state in our bodies, while the monounsaturated fatty acids like olive oil, for example, are anti-inflammatory. Okay. One more kind of sciencey thing to talk about here is the omega-6 versus omega-3. So you've probably heard that we should be getting lots of omega-3s and kind of limit our omega-6s, right? That's, I think we all kind of understand that. Um, just so you understand, like, our bodies need both. Our bodies need omega-6s and omega-3s. And um, they just have to be in a certain kind of balance. And it depends on who you talk to, what that balance is. Some people say four to one, omega-6 to omega-3. Some say one to one. But whatever it is, we want to make sure we have enough omega-3s in our system. So omega-3s, um, the problem is, though, when omega-6s are high, it really lowers the amount of omega-3s. Uh, it throws that thing off balance, okay? And these these oils that I'm talking about here, these industrial seed oils, are very high in omega-6s, and they throw off that balance. And so um, you want to, like, limit the omega-6s. You want to really just eliminate these vegetable oils and increase your omega-3s to get the optimal kinds of fats that you need. So the only way we can get these two very important types of fats is by eating certain types of foods and, and fats that can, or foods that contain these fats, right? So um, we wanna make sure that, you know, or we're, we're limiting the amount of omega-6s, so limit the vegetable oils, basically, is the easiest way to do this, and increase the omega-3s. Um, omega-6 oils are very unstable. They're made of these polyunsaturated fats, and when you cook them at high temperatures, like I said, or microwave them, or you know, cook fry food in them, they oxidize the fats. And like I said, oxidized omega-6s damage your DNA, they cause inflammation of your heart, they raise your risk of several types of cancer, including breast cancer. It also interferes with brain metabolism, so get that foggy brain. Omega-6s are inflammatory. Omega-3s are not. You need both, but because of that inflammation factor, you want to maximize omega-3s, minimize omega-6s, 
okay? Overconsumption of omega-6s and under-consuming omega-3s has been shown to increase all kinds of diseases like heart disease, obesity, type 2 diabetes, irritable bowel syndrome, um, macular degeneration, rheumatoid arthritis, asthma, hypertension, autoimmune diseases, reproductive disorders, hormonal disorders, kidney and liver damage, infertility, cancer. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of not having these things in balance, okay? When you have a diet, though, that's high in omega-3s and low in omega-6s, um, when you're eating more natural fats, and I'm going to get into some of what you should be doing in just a second here, but things like coconut oil, let's say, that'll help to keep your omega-3 to 6s in balance. Okay. Um, some of the good sources of omega-3s, just so you know, would be things like wild-caught salmon, grass-fed beef, sardines, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, avocados, walnuts, flax seeds. All these things are really high in omega-3s. And then um, there was this 2018 study that the title of the study was Omega-6 Vegetable Oils as a Driver of Coronary Heart Disease, the Oxidized Linoleic Acid Hypothesis. And I'm just going to read you the summary of this uh, paper is really good and really well done, well well documented. Lots of um, experts in the field in, in science and uh, fats and things like that. But here's the summary. It says, in summary, numerous lines of evidence show that the omega-6 polyunsaturated fat linoleic acid promotes oxidative stress, oxidized LDL, chronic low-grade inflammation, and atherosclerosis, and is likely a major dietary culprit for causing coronary heart disease, especially when consumed in the form of industrial seed oils commonly referred to as vegetable oils. That's enough evidence right there for me <laughs> and should be for you that this stuff is no good. Um, so I'm going to talk about some better choices for you in just a second, but just really quickly, you know, when I, when I start talking about these things and say, hey, we need to get off the industrial seed oils and start using just the natural um, fats, um, whether you're a vegetarian, vegan, whatever, carnivore, um, but this whole idea of eating saturated fats as being bad for us um, has just been drilled into our heads and there's just, it's not true. There's never been a... Uh, a randomized controlled trial, which is the, the actual good science. Okay, there's two types of studies, two basic types of studies. There's epidemiological studies, which study a group of people and what they eat, and um, and then they make conclusions based on that. And that's okay. It can show an association, but doesn't show cause. A better type of study is RCTs, or randomized controlled trials. These are where you take uh, groups of people and you separate them. You control uh, everything about their environment and make sure everything is the same except for certain types of diet, okay? And, and, and when you can randomize the groups and control exactly what they're eating and study that, that is good science, okay? So anytime I see association studies, I'm very skeptical. I really don't go by that. I always want to look at the randomized controlled trials, okay? That's important to understand. And so this idea of like saturated fat being bad for you in the 1960s and 70s, 
all these governments from around the world got together and looked at all these randomized controlled trials that had been done and they, and they, um, and they did all these studies that included over 75,000 men and women. And these experiments that they're talking about, these uh, randomized controlled trials, lasted anywhere from one to 12 years. So they did long-term studies, right? Very expensive to do this. The results from all these studies, from a meta-analysis, like looking at all these studies, showed no effect of saturated fats on cardiovascular mortality or total mortality, or sometimes known as all-cause mortality. In other words, these people eating saturated fats were no more likely to die of uh, heart disease, or get heart disease, or die from these kinds of problems than the people that were eating the low-fat, non-saturated fat diet. It's very important to understand that. So my takeaway from looking at data like that is saturated fat is not bad for you. It never has been proven to be bad for you. In fact, it's proven to be just fine. So what are some better choices? So if we want to get away from the industrial seed oils, what should we eat instead? It's a great question. So stick with cold-pressed, very minimally processed oils. Oils that are produced without high heat or chemical solvents, okay? This is just standard. So things like coconut oil. Coconut oil is one of the best it's a saturated fat. It's like one of the best things. Very um, versatile. You can use it in a lot of stuff. It's great for cooking because it has a very high smoke point. You can heat it up to very high temperatures and it won't oxidize. So it doesn't break down. It's also solid at room temperature, much like Crisco <laughs> or lard. Um, and so, you know, the coconut oil is very versatile. You can use it in um, baking and all kinds of good stuff. And, uh, and it tastes good. Um, so that's a super awesome alternative to vegetable oil. Another one is olive oil. Olive oil is very, you know, always get the cold pressed uh, uh, extra virgin olive oil. And um, only use olive oil cold. You don't want to heat up olive oil. So don't cook with it because it has a very low smoke point. It'll start to break down if it's uh, heated up to too, too high of a temperature. So I always want to use um, cold olive oil. Another great option is avocado oil, which a lot of people love. And um, it has a higher smoke point than olive oil. It's great for cooking as well. You can use it cold or hot. Um, so it's great for salad dressings and things like that. Um, and you can cook with it as well. Macadamia nut oil is another good one. It's low in the polyunsaturated fatty acids. It's good for uh, dressings, uh, and it's good to make mayo out of, apparently. I have not done that, but that sounds amazing. And then one of the best oils you can use would be fish oil. It has tons of great omega-3s. It, it helps to promote proper cell function, good lipid numbers, and actually it's been shown to improve insulin sensitivity. Okay, so these are the oils you should stick with. I would say olive oil and coconut oil would be my two go-to, and I always have that stuff around, and I, I use that stuff every day. The bottom line, seed oils, these industrial seed oils, should not be consumed for humans. They were not created as food. I think they're unfit for human consumption. 
they they harm your health. They create oxidative stress. They break down our cells. They damage our DNA. They're highly inflammatory. They throw off our omega-3 to omega-6 ratio, basically depriving our bodies of the good fats that we need for optimal health. Uh, the solution is to replace these industrial seed oils with good oils, good heart-healthy oils, the real heart-healthy oils, like olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil, or just use butter. And, and these things restore the omega-3 to omega-6 ratios. They don't promote oxidative stress. Um, some oils like olive oil are actually anti-inflammatory, and these will dramatically improve your health. A little bit of a bigger picture look at things here. Like we're, we're consuming you know, less animal fat and more vegetable oil than ever before. And yet we're sicker and fatter than we've ever been. And honestly, we can look at vegetable oil as just one of the key players to this. And I call the three key players here, uh, sugar, refined grains, and these industrial seed oils. I call this the vile triumvirate. <laughs> it's this horrid, toxic concoction these three things that's like making us fat and sick and killing us all. And yet, these three things make up most of the processed food available in the supermarket today. These three things are found in almost all processed and packaged food. And it's kind of what the United States Dietary Guidelines recommends we eat. You know, since the induction of the Dietary Guidelines in 1980, the overall health of Americans has sharply declined. The guidelines have had a profound effect on our health in a bad way. And, and the guidelines affect more than just like you sitting at home, okay? So like all school lunch programs are based on the US uh, dietary guidelines. And 19% of school-age kids are now obese. The dietary guidelines affect all military rations and mess hall food. And now 7% of troops are obese. Not just overweight, but obese. The guidelines affect special nutrition programs for women, infants, and children like WIC. And now 15% of toddlers in WIC are obese. The guidelines determine what food is served in hospitals. The guidelines determine what food programs we give to the elderly. And life in, but life expectancy is actually going down. Alzheimer's is going up. Diabetes has gone up rampantly. Cancer has gone up rampantly among the elderly. Um, the guidelines affect agricultural production. So they actually, because of the guidelines, they incentivize farmers to produce more and more cheap carbohydrates like soybeans, wheat, corn. And of course, the dietary guidelines for Americans um, affect what the food industry produces. So the food industry is producing more and more and more of this garbage loaded with sugar, refined grains, and vegetable oil. So what's the solution here? The solution is, my favorite thing, eat real food. Let's just go back to eating whole food. You know, and I, and I use this example a lot of like, would a caveman eat this or a cavewoman? And if the answer is no, then you probably shouldn't be eating it either. If it's highly processed, if this thing you're about to eat has been highly processed, it involves multiple steel vats, high pressure, high heat, toxic chemicals, deodorizers, and bleaches to make it, probably 
take a hard pass on that. If it comes in a package, I would say really examine it carefully before you eat it. Really take a look and see what it is you're eating. If it's something deep fried, I would say don't eat it. Unless they're using something like, you know, beef tallow or duck fat to fry it in, which some places are starting to do this now. Um, and if you go to a restaurant and you're worried about eating vegetable oil and them heating up this vegetable oil, you can tell them you're allergic to vegetable oil. Just say, hey, I've got a vegetable oil allergy. Do you think you can cook my food in butter? And a lot of restaurants will actually do this for you. And it doesn't matter if you're being super honest about it. They take it seriously and they'll, um, they'll do this for you. And the ones that won't, you know, maybe don't eat there. <laughs> That's an option. But honestly, just like, let's go back to eating real food. None of this highly processed stuff. And when it comes to highly processed food, vegetable oils are probably one of the most processed and refined foods in existence today. And one of the things that's making us really sick. So um, that's why I uh, say that this stuff is, is poison slash garbage, okay? All right, we will be continuing this conversation over in the Running Lean community on Facebook, so just join us over there. Jump in on the conversation. It'll be fun to have you uh, in there and uh, ask your questions, and I'll see if I can answer them right here. And if, if you do enjoy this podcast and if you've got something out of this, um, you can show your support by just leaving a quick review on iTunes. I would super love that. Okay, that's all I got for you today. As always, lots and lots of love to each and every one of you, my friends. Keep on running lean. I'll talk to you soon. If you've tried to lose weight by running miles and miles or starving yourself and you've had zero results, you are not alone. This model of weight loss is broken. It's never worked and it has to be replaced. That's why I created a powerful new training just for you called How to Become a Lean Running Machine. You'll discover why running more and eating less does not work for weight loss. And you'll learn the three secrets to losing weight and keeping it off for good. To get this free training right now, just go to theRunningMindPodcast.com slash lean and learn how you can become a lean running machine.